I'm going to go ahead and pray before we get going here. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do just thank you for this day again. And Lord, I know that Lord, we do, we do long for your coming. Lord, we look forward to it. We long to see you face to face. Lord, we're grateful for your patience and the delay. God, because we know that the greatness of your coming will be connected with the greatness of your judgment as well. So, Lord, we long for it, but we're also grateful. God, I pray that you would just uh, help us to use the time that we have left on this earth to be good witnesses for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you remember from last week, we were dealing with a two-part series, okay? Uh, Two-part because uh, the first part was just so big, I had a difficult time trying to cram all of it in there. We're talking about Acts chapter 9. Last week, we, uh, we were looking at this map here, and just to remind you of what's going on, this is Jerusalem. See Jerusalem right there? Uh, Peter has made it up into this area of Samaria uh, at least once as far as uh, since Christ has been resurrected. He's made it up there at least once after Philip had gone up there and done some preaching. But now Peter, uh, I think, thinking of God's command to say, take the, the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I think that Peter is thinking about that command. And so Peter is headed out of Jerusalem. He's made up to this city called Lydda. So he's headed this direction towards the coast. Mediterranean Sea is right here. Uh, When he gets in Lydda, he comes across a guy named Aeneas who was paralyzed. And uh, by God's power, Peter heals him, says, Jesus Christ heals you. And this man gets up and and actually, it's funny because he says he makes his bed. Peter tells him, he said, get up and make your bed. And that's what he did. He got up and he made his bed. They hear about him being down there and some people from Joppa uh, call on him. And so he uh, ends up going from Lydda up to Joppa, right on the coast. And while he's in Joppa, there's a lady named Tabitha. And Tabitha has died. And when Peter gets there, they're showing Peter all the things that she's done, all the good things that she's made uh, I think uh, last week when I was talking about this, uh, Katie almost held up the, uh, a, a bag of the muffins that my mom had made to illustrate, but <laughs> not quite the same. My mom's still here. Oh, look, see, there's some back there again today. Uh, so, uh, so they're showing Peter all these things. This Tabitha was a wonderful person. Look at all the things that she's done. And Peter says, everybody go get out of the room. He goes in, he prays for her, and I mean, she was dead. And then guess what? She's not. We talked about last week how the gospel defeats disease, power of Christ defeats disease, defeats death. As I mentioned, I think there's bigger fish to fry. Aren't there bigger fish to fry? I think so. There's something else that uh, God is aimed at, and it's in Peter's own heart. Now, before I continue on with that bigger fish to fry, I want to give you some background here information on Acts, just a reminder does anybody remember who Acts is written to? Anybody remember? Theophilus, right? Theophilus, let me put his name up there for you, Theophilus. Uh, the, this Theophilus, uh, Luke is writing to him. He wrote uh, the book of Luke to him. I see my dad, everybody's distracted by him over in the corner. Never mind the man behind uh, the curtain. Um, I am the great and powerful Oz. No. Um, yeah, it is kind of warm in here, isn't it? Are you turning the heat down? Turn the air on. Okay. I see a few of you fanning yourselves. 
You, got, you know what you're doing? You're going, this better be interesting, Matt. I'm starting to doze. You just said Theophilus. That, that's like a lead into sleep right there. Um, all right. I'll try to be exciting. You can do that. Theophilus. Uh, so Luke is writing to him, and Theophilus would have been an important person, a representative, somebody of importance in Rome. And so he's writing these things to him, and you have to understand that one of the, th- one of the reasons why he's... Is this exciting enough for you? Uh, one of the reasons why, and this, this actually is exciting, is uh, in connection with... I mean, think about what is going on here, what's actually going on. So I'm going to use a quote here. Um, Tony Merida puts it this way. He says, Luke is trying to show why Theophilus and others like him not just Jews, but others like him, should come to be involved in a religious phenomenon which began as a Jewish messianic movement. Pause. Big words. Think about what we're talking about, though. I mean, here you have the Jews, this little group in the Middle East, not huge, small group, and then from this Jewish religious group, a sector breaks off from this, this already small group. They're already outnumbered. And this tiny little group breaks off, starting with just 12 guys. And then there's a couple thousand, but still small in the scope of the world. And what happens? This group that's broken off, they've broken off because they're saying, hey, guess what? The Messiah that these Jews were talking about, he came and his name is Jesus. And this Messiah isn't just our Messiah. He's the Messiah for the whole world. So this little tiny group that's broken off, a little tiny religious group, and, and the, the Messiah says, take this message throughout the whole world. So Luke, what's he doing? He's trying to convince Theophilus, hey, this little phenomenon that happened in this little Middle Eastern area, it's for you too, all the way over here in the capital city of the Roman Empire. So if this is the case, this meant that some considerable time had to be taken to show not only the geographical spread, so spreading on the map of this movement, but also it's spread across ethnic barriers and social boundaries. It's not just for Jews, it's also now for Gentiles. It's for everybody. It doesn't matter what, who you're descended from. It also doesn't matter what area of life you're in. Poor fisherman Peter, important Theophilus, or in our story, important Cornelius. So th- as Luke is writing this, this is a key element to helping Theophilus understand. This is for you. So this transferring of this, this movement from this little sector to the whole world, the whole globe. Uh, everybody breathes a sigh of relief as the air kicks on. So, if the gospel is going to make it to the Gentiles, Luke is going to spend a significant amount of time. So let's get back to last week. The gospel defeats death, defeats disease, but it's also going to defeat, in Peter's heart, discrimination. So, we're going to break this into seven scenes. Okay? Scene one, last week, was Cornelius' vision. So Cornelius, he's up in Caesarea. Let me go back to the map for a moment. So all the way up the coast of Sharon right here is this city, Caesarea. You may remember that the Jews looked at Caesarea. This is a city of ungodliness. Nobody went there. I mean, it even bears the name of Caesar, Caesarea. I mean, it's, it's a Roman city. This is not a kind of place where Jews like to go. They nicknamed it the daughter of Edom. You don't want to go there. Peter, he's headed that way a little bit. He stopped right here at Joppa. He's on the coast. He feels, I think, like he's stretching himself. He's staying with a guy named Simon the Tanner. 
Uh, for a Jew, staying with someone who's a tanner, dealing with dead bodies of animals all the time, that would have been a place where uncleanness was happening. So I think Peter was already thinking, man, I'm, I'm stretching myself here. Little does he know, up in Caesarea, there's this guy named Cornelius. Cornelius is praying. He gets a vision. An angel comes and visits him and says, Cornelius, God's heard your prayer. It's risen as a memorial to God. Now, I need you to go send for somebody in Joppa. His name is Simon. His name is Peter. He's staying with a guy named Simon the Tanner. So basically, he says, go down to Simon and Simon, right? And bring him back up here. Scene two, Peter's vision. Now, it's about a two-day journey from Caesarea, because remember, they don't have trains and cars, right? About a two-day journey from Caesarea to Joppa, about a day and a half. So these guys leave from Cornelius. They head down to go get Peter. About a day and a half later, we pick up in scene two with Peter. Peter's on the roof. He's praying. The Bible says he, he gets a vision. An angel doesn't come to visit him, but a sheet is lowered down by four, right? It's lowered by, by its four corners. And on this sheet, now he's hungry, and we know that from the story that there's people downstairs preparing food, but he's up on the roof. There is too many distractions today. We're never going to make it through this. We are no, It's not going to happen today. You are dismissed. No. Um, so Peter, he's, he's up on the roof. He's hungry. And uh, so he's trying to pray. Maybe he was distracted. This kind of ties in, doesn't it? He's, he's like trying to pray, but he's like, man, I'm hungry. That would happen to me, honestly. And so he's up there praying, and the sheet comes down. And in the sheet, there's all kinds of animals. It says birds and reptiles and all kinds of things, you know. Things that Peter would normally say as a Jew, as a good Jew, he would say, I'm not eating that stuff. But this voice comes out and lays this down in front of me. He's like hungry, and the voice says, kill and eat. Three times it happens. And each time Peter goes, I've never, I, I'm you know, basically saying, I'm a good Jew. I've been keeping what God says to do. I haven't, I haven't partaken in any of these particular things. These things are unclean. And the voice says, Peter, don't call things unclean that I call clean. If I declare them clean, don't you call them unclean. Don't you do it. Three times. We're going to pick up at the very end of scene two with verse 19, and it says this, and while Peter was pondering the vision, as you would, Peter's pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. So see, it's been about a day and a half, because those guys left, right? And so God times it just right, so while Peter is pondering this vision, the guys get there, they arrive. Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter goes, is going to go downstairs. Now, you're going to notice that these guys don't enter the building. They're standing at the gate. I think because they understand what's going on here. I mean, just imagine for a second for the Jews. This is their homeland. Now, Rome is ruling, but the Romans would be considered like what we'd think of as an occupying force. So the Romans are there. They understand they're in Jewish country. And for them, you know, they had their, their cities like Caesarea that are really kind of devoted to them. But man, you start heading down to Joppa, you're going to run into some pretty strong, opinionated Jewish people. So they get down there, and out of respect, they're standing at the gate. So you're going to hear that they're standing at the gate. And it says here, And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they say, Cornelius, a centurion. And then they want to throw in there, 
because maybe they know the, the social stresses. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, by the way, Peter, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, in other words, he's a friend of Jews, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear what you have to say. Standing at the gate, can you picture them? Standing at the gate? Um, Cornelius has sent us down here. And Peter's listening to this. I imagine thinking, I was pondering what this meant. I think I know what this means. And so he does something. This is going to be a huge gospel moment for Peter. He invited them in to be his guests. I don't want to skim over that, by the way. That would have been huge. Simon the Tanner's home. And they invite these Gentiles, these Romans, in to the house to be guests. And we're going to find out because it says the next day, so he must have let them spend the night. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. This is going to be important later. We're going to find out later in chapter 11. There's six guys that go with him. They're going to be important as witnesses to what's about ready to happen. And then the following day they entered Caesarea, so about a day and a half again, right? Getting back up to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. So I can picture Cornelius. I mean, if you had an angel come visit you and say, go get this guy, he's got something that you need to know, and you send them off, in the meantime, you're probably not just sitting there you know, doing nothing. What, what's Cornelius doing? He's getting his relatives together, his close friends together. He's, hey, he's coming. I saw an angel. He's coming. And, and they must have believed him because they came to hear. And so just picture them. Now, now just think of these, these Jewish homes. I know some of you that have been to Sunday school, we had some of those videos that talk about the Jewish homes, had the inner courts. I mean, th- this isn't a tiny little shack. This guy was well off. So this would have pre- been a fairly large establishment. And there's probably a court that they all could have been gathered in. So there's, there's a crowd basically waiting for Peter. So now we begin scene four. Peter entered. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Did I not click? I'm sorry. There we go. Fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. I'm just mortal. There's some humility going on here on both sides. Cornelius, he's important. I can only imagine that as soon as Peter said a few words, he knew this is some hick from Galilee. We know this from historical records that Galileans had an accent. I don't know what kind it was. I, you know, I picture it being something like that. I'm Peter. Here I am. Share the gospel with you. Centurion. Important. Well off. Over at least 100 Roman soldiers. And this hick fisherman Peter walks in and he falls on his face and begins to worship. But Peter, Peter doesn't go, yeah, I am pretty important. I mean, Jesus is the one that's been talking to me. What's he do? He goes, no, 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 no. Get up. I'm just a person like you. Big step, Peter, again. I, I, we're no different. The Bible tells us all throughout the rest of the New Testament over and over again that, that Christ 
came in this gospel is for Jews and Gentiles alike. It's for, for everybody. And Peter's getting it now. It's for you. And I'm just like you. In, in the scheme of things now, I realize I'm just like you. There's no difference. Can you, can you hear the, the scales of Peter's former discrimination falling off and hitting the ground? As he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. I, I get the feeling that he was a little surprised by this point because he's meet, met Cornelius at the door, the entrance to the establishment here, this big you know, facility that Cornelius is in. And I, I picture them walking through and, and entering into maybe an inner courtyard and seeing there's all these people here waiting to hear. He went in and found many persons gathering, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. He knows the vision now. God has told him not to call any person. It's not just about the animals. In fact, maybe it was never really about the animals. I think it kind of was a little bit. It's really about the people. Peter knows. I'm not to call anybody common or unclean. Now, these people would have known. I, I always used to ponder this because I used to think, well, how would these people feel? Like, you think we're unclean? Well, we'll think you're unclean. But, but I think that they realize that they're in their country as an occupying force. And they recognize that the Jews have these, the, these things, these establishments according to the religion and everything else. So they understand these social norms. And so for them to see Peter walk in, they know for Peter, that's a big step for him to walk in. And so Peter's reiterating that. Now, there isn't any specific law that says, there's no, you go through the Old Testament, there's no law that says don't associate at all with somebody that's a Gentile. But it, it was more of a taboo at this point. It, it, in other words, if you're going to associate with Gentile, be prepared to pay the price. You'll be unclean. And Peter just walks right in and says, I'm not to call anybody unclean anymore. Cornelius is now going to reiterate his story back to Peter. Now, on a little side note, this is really important because, uh, the re remember, Luke is writing this to Theophilus. And so to reiterate, Luke does these things, to reiterate. So if he repeats himself, it's because it's important. And so the fact that Luke has already told us what Cornelius says, now he's going to have Cornelius say it again, is to reiterate that this is something of God. So there's no question that the gospel is for everyone, that it's, it's breaking down all those old boundaries, Jew and Gentile now, all under the gospel. And so I'm going to read through this next part fairly quickly. It says, And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, very much like all angelic appearances, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Pretty exciting for Peter, I think, at this point. 
Now, before I jump to the rest, I have a little, little bit of application I want to throw in right here before I get into the, a, a bigger application later. Okay, So I'm going to throw in a little application here from things that we've seen already. Once again, I'm, I'm borrowing from one of my commentaries because it's just so good. I said, I've got to share this. Okay, So this wasn't in my original plan, but I, when I read it, I like, I've got to share this. So I'm throwing it in right here because it's important. I decided to call this, little, this first little step of application the, the, the gospel attitude. Now, I call it this. That's not right. There we go. The gospel attitude. See, he saw all the points in advance. Uh, the gospel attitude. I think this is so important because as Christians, I, let, me, let me ask you. Can you detect attitude from people? I don't think there's any question. You can, you can sense it, can't you? Have you ever been with somebody and you can tell they don't want to be with you? No, never? <laughs> okay, her aside. Um, well, everybody just wants to be with you, I understand. Um, here you, you can tell. And so I think it's important to take this gospel message and it's got to play into our attitudes. And you see this played out. So let me give you a couple of examples here. First of all, this one. Once again, this is Tony Merida's words, not mine. He put down, he said, we can show no hesitation in befriending people unlike us. Did you notice that? Peter, it actually mentioned it twice. Uh, first in uh, verse 20 there, but then again later. Uh, Peter doesn't show any, the Spirit tells him, don't hesitate. So he goes right down, he invites him in. I mean, he, he, he's breaking down. These are big things for Peter. And he's, he's breaking down these walls. So we, as well, I believe, ought to show no hesitation. I like the way he phrased that, show no hesitation. Some of you know exactly what it's like. Somebody says, hey, can I, and you're like, okay. What have you just said without words? You're bothering me. I've got more important things than you. The gospel doesn't look at life that way. The gospel ought to show no hesitation in befriending people unlike us, different. These people would have been very different from Peter. They would have looked different, talked different, probably dressed differently. And Peter showed no hesitation. Number two, we can show hospitality toward everyone, opening our homes and lives to them. I have a hard time with hospitality. Don't laugh at me. My in-laws just laughed at me. Did you guys see that? They're laughing at me. They know it's true. You know what defeats those kinds of things in my own heart? The gospel does. Because the, what, what does the gospel do in me? The gospel in me displays the greatness of Christ. I'm, I'm not a natural when it comes to hanging out with people. The gospel works that in me. I come to church, I love being around all of you. So please don't get me wrong. I love it, but why do I love it? Is it because you're so great? A lot of you are pretty great, yeah. You know what it is? It's the Spirit of God works in me to say, Matt, don't just be in your own little shell. Don't just be in your own little shell. The gospel displayed. They're making fun of me still. 
I got more growth to do, don't I? Is that what you were saying? Okay. I guess a bunch of ladies are coming to my house later. You may not see me upstairs. <laughs> I'm going to let my wife show the hospitality for me. Next one. We can show humility before all people. Regardless of their skin color or annual income, this actually goes both ways. Sometimes you think this ought to be like, you know, a rich person looking down on the poor. But I know us poor people, what do we do? Sometimes you see those rich people and like, Ugh, I hate them. Both ways, right? In fact, in this situation, is that precisely Peter? He's not rich. Poor fisherman. In fact, he's not even fishing right now. He's depending on everybody else to just make it. He goes to Cornelius, big home. It would have been easy for, or for Peter to walk into Cornelius' home and go, oh, nice house. I don't think Peter's thinking about that. I think Peter's thinking, this guy needs the gospel just like I needed the gospel. We all need the gospel, and I'm here to share the gospel. And God has worked this out. We ought to show humility before all people. There's not a single one of us that's better than any other person on this planet. We're all sinners. We all deserve God's judgment. And if there's anything in you that's even remotely good, it's not you. It's God. When you have that in your mind and in your heart, you get start meeting people and you think, Ugh, you don't think that anymore because you think, they're, they're, I'm no, I'd be worse than them if it wasn't for the grace of God. If there's anything good in me, it's all him. It's not me. Begin scene five. Scene five is going to begin with the very first sermon preached to a Gentile audience. It starts off, verse 34, so Peter opens his mouth. I, I, I like that phrase. It's a good phrase, way of phrasing because it, it kind of ties very much into the way the Old Testament prophets would many times they opened their mouth and spoke. And, and so it's, it's kind of phrased that way, but it always reminds me that the words that Peter's getting ready to say are not his own. He's opening his mouth. It's like the words of God become tumbling out. Now before I read any of this sermon that he's getting ready to preach, I, I, I want to point out that it's different from other sermons we've read in Acts already. Most of the other sermons in Acts started back, way back with the Old Testament, went through things because they were preaching to Jews who knew the Old Testament. Peter's going to start right off, the bat, right off the bat with Christ. So he begins. Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now I'm going to take a giant big pause here before we go any further. Lots of pauses today. Big pause. First of all, no partiality. This is not referring to the fact that God is not a respecter of persons in the sense that, hey, we're accepting Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, that's not, this is actually the flip side to that. God shows no partiality is implying and referring to God's judgment. Just like God is not going to limit and say, oh, you know, only these people. He's also not at the end of time going to say, you're off the hook. God shows no partiality. That's what that phrase is referring to. He's not, the, the, God is judge of all. And at the end, all will stand before him. 
regardless of any background that they have. They will stand before the one God. These people in this nation don't get to stand before their God and these people in this nation. No. All are accountable to this one God. He does not show partiality. Secondly, at a, at a quick reading of this, someone who does not know how to study the Bible, I'm just going to be honest, would read this and they might think that Cornelius is already saved. Because what does it say there? But in every nation, anyone who fears him, which is already said, Cornelius is a God-fearer, and does what is right is acceptable to him. Understand this word acceptable, another version of this word, a different translation of this word would just mean welcome. Is welcome. So Peter's saying, in every nation, those people that begin to turn to him, the door is open, is what he's saying. This is big. This is big. Now, I'm going to kind of cover that question, and I think that that might lead into other questions, and that's what Wednesday night is going to be for this week, is to kind of answer some of those questions that you might have. But before I go, I'm going to give you this second point of application, and it has to do with this, the gospel work. Not just the gospel attitude, but the actual work of the gospel itself. How does it all play out? I'm going to start with the recipient. In this case, who's the recipient? In this story, Cornelius, right? Cornelius is going to be the recipient of hearing the gospel. Notice that he has been drawn by God. I want to put this scripture up there. We mentioned this one today, John 6, 44. No one can come to me, Jesus is speaking. No one can come to me unless what? The Father who sent me. I'm going to do that again. I'm going to pause so you guys can say it out loud because it's an important word. Uh, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Cornelius, in his own intelligence, goodness, didn't figure this stuff out. When you sit back and you read this story, you, you can see God's hand working in Cornelius, can't you? Opening up his eyes, telling him there's something more that you need. There's more to this. Yeah, this is great, but there's something more here. We talked about how last week that when it says that his prayers have been offered up as a memorial to God, it's simply saying like the Old Testament offerings are accepted as a memorial. And people who couldn't make an offering, they would many times, they, it said, the Bible says that their prayers would be acceptable as that offering. And so here you have Cornelius, he's praying and, and very much falling in line with a lot of those Old Testament principles, but there's something more he needs in this story, and God is going to bring it to him. And God is not only going to bring it to him, he's going to make Cornelius realize he needs it and sends him off. The gospel work. In the gospel work, there's a recipient. That recipient comes because the Father draws him. So you can relax in your work of sharing the gospel. If somebody's going to be interested, why are they going to be interested? Because the Father's doing something. Number two, the message. The message is one that is revealed by God, and I put next to it Jesus. The message is Jesus. It's not just be good. It's not go to church. It's not stop being bad. The message is Jesus. He's our Savior. He came to this earth. He died on the cross for our sins. And now all we do is we believe in Him, commit our lives to Him. We just put all of our faith, our hope, our trust in Him, and He saves us. The message, the good news. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The gospel work. There's a recipient, there's a message. There's a messenger. 
In this case, who's the messenger? Peter. Peter has been sent by God. That's very clear. Peter, we don't have any clue that he was on his way up to Caesarea. God is the one that begins to work this meeting into existence. Peter recognizes that he has been sent by God. Romans chapter 10, I want to read a little bit of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. Paul is talking, he says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? Okay, so there's, we know a lot of these things. There's this belief element to being saved. How are they going to call on him? This is right after Paul is talking, he says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He goes on, he says, How are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe, or how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? If you haven't heard, you can't believe. Cornelius, until he hears about Jesus, he can't believe in Jesus because he hasn't heard about Jesus. He doesn't know all the details. He doesn't know who Jesus is, the the real message of who Christ is. Maybe he's heard his name mentioned. He doesn't know. How are they to hear without someone preaching? Not just meaning preaching like what I'm doing, but the word means proclaiming. How are they to hear unless somebody proclaims, right? Like Peter, open your mouth, the words come out. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach, proclaim the good news. So this work of the gospel, there's a recipient, there's a message, there's a messenger, and then we have that interaction. You got a recipient. God's drawn him. You got the message of the gospel. You got the person that knows the message, is going to deliver it. How are they going to run into each other? can relax it's not you that's going to make it happen it's God I don't want to stretch this but let me share something else out of Romans as well Romans 8 28 through 30 Romans 8 28 says and we know that for those who love God all things work together for good to who those who are called according to his purpose it's love you know that one let's keep going for those whom he foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then we have it all laid out for us. Those whom he predestined in an eternity past, he called. And those who he calls, what does he do? Justifies. And every one of those that has been justified, he glorifies. Who's, for those of you that understand grammar slightly, who's the subject here? Who's doing everything? He. Who's he? God. He calls. He predestines. He calls. He justifies. He glorifies. This all, this gospel work is all God's work. You just get to be a part of it sometimes. Isn't that great? At one point, hopefully, you were the recipient. God was drawing you. God was working in your heart. I've heard many of you share your testimonies. You talk about those exact things. You weren't really interested in God. And then for some reason, that's at least what you thought, for some reason, sparked that. And 
and many of you have even said, even though you didn't know the theological terms, you, you, I've heard you say, it's like God was pulling me. Now we know the theology, don't we? The Father draws you. And then, lo and behold, we talked about this last Wednesday night, and uh, Janie shared her testimony, how she's thinking about all these things, and then, lo and behold, this, the, she always refers to him as this little preacher, Pastor Ken, comes along, the deliverer of the message. In all of it, we can sit back and we can go, God works to save people. He does it. You just get to be a part of it. Whether you've been the recipient at some point in your life, hopefully, but now, you may get to be a part of the other end of this. The deliverer of the message. The message isn't yours. And it's not depending on you for them to hear it. God is going to orchestrate all these things together. And he wants to use you to be a part of it. Now, I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going, to, I'm going to read through the rest of Peter's little message. Now, Peter's message is going to get cut off all of a sudden. It's my favorite part of this whole sermon today. It's going to get cut off. right? In the, he doesn't even get to finish his sermon. He doesn't get to all the scripture references. Okay, So he's going to start talking about Jesus, and then all of a sudden it's going to get cut off. And I love, that's going to be my favorite part. But I'm going to read this, and I, I want you to think about as we go into this. So Peter's delivering the message. He's the messenger. He's delivering the message. The recipients are there. They're hearing. I want you to think about elements of this message. So as I read... I'm going to read this first little slide here. Read this, and I'm going to pause, and I'm going to say, tell me some elements of the gospel message that we might need to incorporate into our gospel message. Okay, so that's going to be the question. So you may have to think. I'm sorry. Get your brains going. Peter's opened his mouth. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, what are some elements of the gospel message that you see in Peter's speech that might be important for us to share? This can be real simple. I'm going to give you, I'll give you an easy one. Jesus. Is Jesus an essential element of the gospel message? Absolutely. What else do you see in there? Oh, that's a good one. Brings peace. There, there, peace. Now we know, think a little bit bigger, the peace. What is the ultimate peace that Christ brings? It's peace with God. What else do you see in there? Ooh, devil. The Holy Spirit. What Jesus' power comes from where? The Holy Spirit. He's been anointed with the Spirit of God, and he's bringing the power of the Spirit to his people. What you see anything else in there? Healing all. I, I like that. In fact, I, one of my favorite parts of this one was he's, he's a liberator, isn't he? Everyone, so if you're sitting here today, one of the elements of the gospel that I can easily proclaim to you is that whatever sinful thing Satan has been working on you, Christ is a liberator. There's not a one of you that Satan has such a stronghold in that Christ cannot liberate you. He does that like it's nothing. Come to him. Trust in him. Put your faith in him. He will free you 
of those things that Satan has bound you with. I like as well that Jesus is Lord of all. Let me keep going. Peter then says, and we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. What are some other elements of the gospel message that are so important in this, little, this next little phrase here? There's some easy ones. Jesus died. Dead. And then what? He rose again. God raised him from the dead. He was dead, and now he's alive. And he appeared to us. Peter says, we are witnesses. God saw fit that those witnesses, they didn't have video cameras, but what did they leave us? Testimony. So we are also witnesses, are we not, through their witness? Certified, true, God's word through those witnesses. God didn't reveal it to everybody, but to those people that he chose. Isn't that what Peter says? Jesus, in other words, Jesus didn't just appear in a giant bolt of lightning in the sky so everybody on the planet could see him so they would all believe. He could have done that, couldn't he? He didn't. He appeared to some. And he told those some, you go tell everybody else. I think that's his grace. He wants everybody to be involved in this great news and the spreading of the good news. And he commanded us to preach, let's proclaim to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. His sermon is wrapping up right here. I don't think he's done, but it's going to end. You see anything else in this that's an important element to our gospel message? God is judge. I think a lot of people know that, and I've joked about that here before. Right? A lot of people, when they're doing the wrong thing, what do they do? Well, only God will judge me. I want to go, that should make you nervous. You're right. God is the judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And one day we will all stand before him. And he has seen fit to have witnesses bear witness to his salvation. You ought to believe it instead of ignoring it. And thinking that somehow you're going to stand on the last day. It reminds me of some, you know, one of these idiots that decides I'm going to defend myself in court. I don't need a lawyer. We need one. We're guilty. We need more than that. We need a Savior. We need someone to take the penalty of our sin. That's Christ. God is judge. And then Peter, this is my favorite part, okay? So if you're slightly sleepy, I want you to wake up for this. This is my favorite part, okay? So, so go back to the, what's going on. So here you got Peter. He comes and he's telling them to say, he starts to preach to them. He's, he's sharing it with them. And he's talking to them. And he's explaining who Jesus is. And they're, they wanted to hear, so they're all, you have an audience that really wants to be there. And so they're all there. They're listening, they're listening, they're listening. And notice, right at the very end of this particular sentence, Peter throws in there 
He hasn't gotten to all of his scripture references. He hasn't quoted anything from the Old Testament at this point. And in fact, the next verse is going to tell us that he gets cut off. Okay, so while he's saying these things, suddenly something is going to happen. Notice his last sentence he says here. He says, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. I think this is what happens in this story. I think they're sitting there and they're going, this is great, this is good. I mean, they're just soaking it in. And I think that many of them are thinking, I want in on this. I don't want to be on the outside of this thing. I want to be in on this thing because if this is all these things he's saying are true and this is who Jesus, if he really rose from the I want in on this. And they're hanging on. They're waiting for that moment when Peter's going to get to the point where, you know, at the, hey, all right, so this is what you have to do. But instead of saying this is what you have to do, what's he say? He says, everyone who believes. And I think in that exact moment, they went as a group, I believe. Maybe not verbally. But in, that, in their heart, they went, that's all it takes? In, in a, a millisecond, the thought process, I think, went like this. I went in, I want to believe. Well, I believe. Maybe some thoughts of it. Is that easy? And here's why I think that happened at this moment, because listen to what happens next. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. They haven't prayed any prayer. You see it, like, pray the prayer and you'll be... Did that happen? Have they been baptized? Nope. They're just sitting there, they're listening, they're hearing it, and all of a sudden they're like, I believe. And the Spirit of God goes, whoosh. Almost like another Pentecost. And the believers from among the circumcised, right, talking about the Jews, people who had been faithful Jews, who had come with Peter, right, those, those six guys that came... They are amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. So I imagine it just erupted in praise of God. Peter doesn't get to finish his message. He doesn't get to give his invitation. He just says, all you got to do is believe. Everybody that believes and praise God. And they're interrupting him and, and they're praising. And then Peter declared. And I think he had to declare it over the ruckus. Peter declares, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? Let's do some dunking. <laughs> In his Galilean accent. Let's get these, let's get it done right now. Those who have received the Holy Spirit, just as they've received the Spirit. This is obviously of God. They've received the Spirit. We need, let's, I mean, he's just in the moment. I love Peter. Don't you love Peter? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days, and we find out that he does. Now, there's a whole other little section. I'm, I have to save it for Wednesday night. So on Wednesday night, I'm going to save this, this chapter 11 where Peter goes back there and reiterates this whole story to a group of people when he gets back down to Jerusalem. But I'm just going to stop right there because what an amazing event that would have been a, to be a part of that. Can you just, just picture it. The whole thing orchestrated by God. Cornelius, he's having a vision. He's like, 
go, go get Peter. Guys go, guys, go get this guy, Peter. He, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, lives, and he's staying with Simon Tanner. I don't know who these people Just go get him. Okay, they head down. Peter, he's praying. The sheets let down. He, What's this mean? Don't call anything unclean. All right, God, I'm not going to call anything unclean. If you say don't call it unclean, I won't call it. Don't do it three times. Okay, okay, I got it. Don't call it unclean. I, I hear you. What does it mean, though? I don't understand. Hey, there's people at the door. He goes off. He heads to the, hey, the Gentiles. Oh, these guys are unclean. Wait a minute. Don't call unclean. I think I know. Come on in, guys. What do you hear? Cornelius, he wants to talk. Okay, they set off the next morning. They head up. They walk in. Peter walks in. He doesn't know what to expect. He walks in. He meets Cornelius. Cornelius tells him what happens. Then all of a sudden he sees all of Cornelius' friends and relatives are there. Peter says, nobody's unclean. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And he does. And as soon as he gets to the moment where he says, to, to get in on this, believe. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, doesn't make a difference. Everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sin. And as he's saying it, the Spirit of God is poured out on these people because they believed. Peter says, let's baptize. This is a monumental event theologically. It's monumental for you because, you know, I don't know if you know this, but we're on the other side of the planet from where this happened. And the first steps of taking the gospel throughout the whole world started right there in this story. And here we are, a bunch of Gentiles, all unclean. God says, don't. Don't call them unclean. And what have we done? We've believed. God pours his spirit out on us. We then take the message to others. And if you get this story, there's not a person in Danville, Illinois that you will ever walk up to and look down on because you will think they need the gospel just like I need the gospel. And I, how dare I? I'm believing in Christ because Peter was willing to say, don't call anybody unclean. I'm believing in Christ because Peter was willing to do that. How dare I look at anybody and think that they're less or worse than me? Don't I dare call anyone unclean or because God has declared all clean. They're all created in his image, and they are all, the doors open to hear the gospel. And there might be somebody in this town that if you come out with this gospel attitude of, of ready and willing, they, they may not have been willing to talk to somebody like you, because you have this open heart, open attitude that just begins to filter out. And you address them, you never know which one of them is going to say, I've been praying that somebody would, I, I feel like I'm missing one element of what God wants from me. And you'll go, 2,000 years ago in Nazareth, it was Jesus. He walked this earth, lived righteously. You may have heard of him before, but you don't know the whole thing. He really did die. He bore the penalty of God's wrath on himself but then he rose again from the grave and he's coming back. And to get in on this, everybody that just believes, and maybe you'll see the same thing happen. Don't you want to be a part of that? You might need to be like Peter. 
you're willing to break down those boundaries. And then when the time comes, open your mouth.